Welcome to the Sacred Goals Podcast, where you'll learn how to hit your sacred goal by destroying patriarchy and trauma-related neural pathways in your brain. These techniques have helped my clients double their income, finally fall in love, and easily land their dream job. Let's go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Sacred Goals podcast. I'm super excited to have Krista St. Germain here, and she is a grief coach. I don't know exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I call myself just a life coach for widowed moms. A life coach for a widowed mm-hmm. mom and um, an expert on grief from both her personal experience and then subsequent research and training she's done in this area. And so today we're going to talk about grief and grieving and post-traumatic growth and goal setting and how all of those things go together. So I think it's going to be a very juicy, interesting conversation. Most people don't say that about grief, juicy, but I like it. I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, Yeah. yeah, it's, it, it's juice. It's, it's juicy in the sense for me, there's an aliveness yeah. in grieving, even if it fucking hurts like hell. Yeah, totally. There's, there's, there's an necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. Let's go. So Krista, why don't you start by telling people your story of losing your husband and how you got into this line of work. Yeah. I never really imagined myself in this line of work, um, until actually quite a while after my husband passed, but basically I was, I was 40 and my husband and I had, he's my second marriage, kind of like the redemption story. My first marriage had ended in divorce and kind of gone down in flames. And he was just proof to me that, good humans, you know, amazing humans and amazing relationships are possible. And so we had come back from a trip and we'd driven separately because we'd left at different times. And I had a flat tire on the interstate and, uh, he didn't want to call triple a and I didn't insist. And so as he was trying to get the spare tire out of my trunk, a driver who we later found out had both meth and alcohol in his system, just didn't see us on the shoulder of the road. And so he crashed into the back of Hugo's car and Hugo was trapped between his car and mine. And, you know, within less than a day, um, he was gone. And so I went from being on a complete high in my life, really, truly believing that my best days were in front of me to absolutely the lowest low I could imagine and believing that my best days were behind me and, um, you know, enter an amazing therapist, right? I went back to the amazing therapist who had helped me with my divorce. And in those early acute days of grief, what I needed was just to talk about it, right? Just to talk about it with somebody who I didn't feel I was burdening somebody who could help me kind of process it and help me get through that space, which a lot of us go through in grief, where we're like holding two beliefs where we, we, we know intellectually that it happened, but our brain can't quite adjust to the fact that it's happening. Our brain still thinks they're on a business trip. Our brain still thinks they're coming back. Our brain is still looking for them. Right. And so I had to get through that and eventually got back to work and I didn't really love my job and I didn't really love my life. And everybody was telling me 
you're amazing. And you're so strong. And I was just thinking, I don't think so. Like if this is what strong feels like, I, this is not what I want. Right. And it just kind of happened. I think it was just like divine timing that a coach, Brooke Castillo, that I had followed in her podcast for a number of years happened to launch a program at the exact time that I needed it. And so, um, it's so funny to look back to me and think that I thought that was a lot of money to spend on myself. Cause I'd never really spent money on myself before, but I decided I would go ahead and spend, it was like two ninety seven a month or something, join her program and try it out. Wasn't grief specific at all, but it introduced me to the tools that I needed, right. To help, to start to change what was happening in my mind, which was making that shift from believing that my best days were behind me to actually starting to see that I could believe that my best days were in front of me. And that, you know, I learned it from other places, not so much Brooke about grief theory and post-traumatic growth and eventually got myself to a place where I was like, okay, life coaching is where it's at. Right. I got to help. I got to help the other people who need these tools and they can't find them. Right. The, the people who like me were Googling, you know, unexpected loss of husband. Right. Couldn't even relate to the term widow at that point in my life. Mm. Um, and so that's what I decided to do. Right. As I went and got certified and then through doing my own work, even at that point, I still wasn't planning to work with widows. But after I had done enough of my own work, um, and realized that I really could help women who were where I was, then I decided to coach widows full-time. And so I've been doing that for the last, Hugo's, Hugo's been gone almost six years and I certified about a year after he died. So since then. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with the acute grief phase. And um, for everyone listening, I, I think what we're talking about, it can apply to obviously losing like a death, but it also can apply to the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job. Even when we move from one place to another, there's a, in all of these transitions, there's a grieving process that happens. Um, but why don't we start with the acute, like when someone, when something is fresh, when you've just lost somebody or something, what do you recommend? Um, yeah, that's the place where it feels like your whole world just fell apart and you, nothing makes sense. Sometimes, um, you can't process cognitively the way that you could, and it feels very foggy and hazy. And so we want to just be very loving with ourselves and focus on the little things, right? So it's like one foot in front of the other. What can I do today that will support myself? Sometimes getting a shower is like the, you know, the biggest thing that you're going to do all day. And that's totally okay. So, um, no pressure on yourself at that point, just continually loving on yourself. And like, what do I need? What would help me today? Um, and there will be room for all the rest of it later, but we got to get through that initial craziness, right. Where everything's yeah. just a haze. Yeah. And I think what I would add to that is like, whatever feeling or whatever is coming up, that's part of the process, right? I think sometimes we yeah. think we should feel sad, but we feel angry, or we think we should feel angry, but we feel numb. And to just like, uh, <laughs> you know, there's the, um, whatever the famous 
seven phases of grief, the five stages of grief. Yeah. Just throw everything out that you ever thought you knew about grief, right? Because it's all been, um, there's, there's as many theories about grief as there are anything else, right? Like how many theories are there about weight loss? Well, there's a lot of theories about grief too. And so, and unfortunately a lot of them have just been misconstrued anyway. And so, you know, we've taken like the five stages as a great example of that. It, it was never really intended to be linear. Um, and when Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler created that work, they were actually studying hospice patients, right? They were studying people who were coming to terms with their own mortality, um, not grieving the loss of someone else. And so they, I don't think they ever really meant to imply that you were supposed to go through all of those stages you know, that it would be the same for everyone. And so we've taken that work instead of used it as something that can help us, we've taken it and kind of used it to compare and despair. So we just want to like ignore all of that. And I love what you said earlier about all of the emotions are part of it. I like to think about grief. It's just a natural response to loss and it's a perceived loss, right? So we want to be like loose in our definition of loss, because what might be a loss for me might not be a loss for you and vice versa. All right. So all kinds of things can fit under the umbrella of loss. And it's really just our thoughts and feelings, right. And actions related to that loss. And sometimes we have, we have tens of thousands of thoughts every day as humans. So of course, we're going to have a lot of different thoughts about the loss. And sometimes we're going to feel sad. And sometimes we're going to feel happy. And sometimes we're going to feel angry. And sometimes we're going to feel, you know, despair and it, the feelings themselves are not problematic. It's when we judge ourselves for having right. those feelings or tell ourselves that we shouldn't be having those feelings that we create problems that we don't need to create. Yeah. And I, I have gone through some loss in the past couple of months. And one person I lost was my grandfather. And of course it was very sad, but it was also, there was, you know, he was 94 and he had lived this beautiful life and had done all these things, you know, he, he had done what he set out to do. And, and so there was, you know, there's like sadness, but there's beauty too, or like there's a sense of peace. And then I, I lost someone else who was younger and it was a totally different process where I was very angry, but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be angry or I didn't like feeling angry about it. And so it was a, it was a harder grieving process for me. It was harder to come to terms with, of course, both were very sad, but it's like, it was just interesting. Cause it was like, I just went through a grief and then I was going through the second wave of grief and it was like, this one's so much harder, you know, so different. Like, yeah. yeah. And then some people might've experienced, you know, like it, when we don't give ourselves permission to feel how we feel, we make it harder. And sometimes, you know, we'll say, well, they were, they, you know, they were 94 and they lived a good life. So I shouldn't be this affected. Right. I should, right? Be I, I should just be grateful. And then instead of being compassionate with ourselves as as we're allowing whatever needs to be felt to flow through, we start judging ourselves and then we block it. Right. And, and then, and then we, we don't like, grieve. Right. And we, then we like heap 
additional negative emotion on top of ourselves, like guilt and shame and inadequacy. Right. right? And there's just so much compare and despair. And I even see it within, in my community as widows, right? Somebody will say, well, you know, how awful for them that they lost their spouse in this way, right? Like theirs was a, theirs was a, an, an accident and mine, you know, had cancer. So at least I got to say goodbye. Right. Right. Instead of just saying like, no, like their loss was hard. Aspects of their loss were hard and, and aspects of their loss were easy. Right. And aspects of my loss were hard and easy. It's just like, it it's, it's okay. Right. It's, it's just hard. Um, and, and we don't have to make one experience mean that we're doing it wrong, or we should have done it in some sort of different way, but yeah, totally interesting how, how different losses can be and how they can affect you in ways that you wouldn't have expected. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, like, so my training is in something called core energetics, which is kind of a a somatic psychotherapy modality. So it really is about feeling feelings in the body. So I've had some practice feeling my feelings. And I think that really helped when my grandfather passed that, that I know how to do this. And, you know, I had my judgments about how other people were doing it, which is a whole nother story. And I had to just let that they're doing it their way. And even though in some ways I feel like I'm an expert on this from my training, they don't want my expertise. Like they Mm -hmm. will ask if they do. And, and it's kind of none of my business, how they handle this. And I, I think anger has always been an emotion that's harder for me to feel. I think being socialized as a woman, I was kind of taught that we're not supposed to be angry or you have to have a really good reason. Yeah. And even though this was like a fantastic reason, it didn't, it's, it's a harder feeling for me mm-hmm. to feel. So I think that was why there was so much more of a wrestling and so it was so much yeah. more painful because I was resisting it sure. hard, which then, you know, makes made me feel nauseous and all different mm-hmm. kinds of other things. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. and then moving it through. But I think, I think even just saying whatever, you know, we bring our past into into the grieving process we bring our patterns we bring our habits Mm -hmm. in and and not to not i'm not saying that to to judge yourself i feel like the core message you're giving is like don't judge yourself it's like compassion like if you like so many of my clients have you know had a lot of anger and then judge themselves for it and then you know you learn a little bit more about their experience with anger growing up and you know, if you saw a, a parent, for instance, who didn't know how to handle their own anger and you grew up in fear of what it was like when the people you loved were angry, then of course it makes complete sense that a part of you is going to be very afraid of anger and worried about it in your own life experience, right? So there's always a reason for the fear or the judgment that we have. And we just want to extend compassion and understanding to it right? Instead of being like judging ourselves for judging, because that doesn't help either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's so true with anger. I think that's such a common pattern I see in my clients too, where it's like, well, I don't want to do that. Right. So I'm just going to cut off my anger completely. Yeah. And then like, and I've, um, I've seen it a lot too, where when we do that, when we, we, you know, we just try to like restrict, 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 resist, resist. And then all of a sudden we explode and now we're yelling at our kids. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then we're like, okay, well, for sure now the wrong parent died. And I now am an angry person and I now am an angry out of control parent. Right. And then we start like, we start like building Viral. all of these yeah. stories, um, and, and just creating even more problems. And ultimately it's not about not yeah. being angry. Not it's just not. about changing your relationship with anger. anger. Right. And, right. And letting it flow through, letting it flow through. Yeah. Yeah. So I think. I've heard you in other podcasts talk about kind of the parallel process of grieving and taking breaks mm. from grieving. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that would apply to maybe someone who's wrestling with anger. Yeah. So I think a lot of times what those of us who, I don't know if you relate to this, but I definitely have always been like the self-help person. Like I've always been reading, you know, about self-help and And so Mm -hmm. I think sometimes in grief, we can assume that if we aren't supposed to be, you know, resisting our feelings or avoiding them, then we see it in very black and white terms. And so we think the opposite of that is, well, then I have to feel them all. I can never take breaks. I have to be constantly, pardon me, doing the work of grief. And I love the dual process theory of grief because what this process suggests is that actually it's the oscillation between what you would call loss oriented activities, which is like thinking about your grief and feeling your feelings and thinking about the loss and like doing the the quote unquote work of it, oscillating between those loss oriented activities and then restoration oriented activities and restoration oriented activities have nothing to do with a loss, right? So when we are gardening or we're like, you know, doing something that we love or painting or, you know, completely, it could be like a Netflix binge, right? We're not actively thinking about the loss that there is such value in intentionally not trying to do the work all the time, but rather going back and forth between the work and respite and the work and respite. And so I think as women, we're often taught, well, you know, our, our value comes from our productivity. And if we're not doing you know, there's something wrong with us. We should be doing. And so then we don't really plan rest. We don't really plan respite. We don't plan rejuvenation. And then we miss out on that opportunity. And so like, let's give ourselves a break. It's totally okay to take a Netflix binge. It's totally okay. You know, it's, it's, it's valuable to take a break and do things that restore and rejuvenate you and are unrelated to whatever it is that you happen to be grieving. Um, and it's especially really hard for my clients to do because now they're widowed moms and they're taking care of kids. And, you know, it's went from a two parent household to a single parent household. So I'm constantly trying to give them permission to give themselves permission to not try yeah, to be to in it all the time in the bathroom for like, five. Yeah. Like there's yeah, so many ways to do it, but, but, but no, with no guilt, you know, decide yeah. that it's, it's actually healthy for you to take a break and schedule whatever that means for you. And if you're, if you don't know, then we have to figure it out. 
right? If you've never stopped long enough to take care of yourself and figure out what rejuvenates you, we got to figure that out. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about like, I I think this all applies, but I want to hear what you have to say a little bit longer along the way. So we have the acute phase where the basic idea is just survive (laughs) and shower and try to be as kind as to yourself as you can. What about like later on, once you're kind of through that acute phase and maybe you're going back to work or you're, you're kind of assuming life as usual. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, I just want to say too, that even though as, as you and I talk about it, it, we can make it sound like there's these nice, neat phases. And I just like want to keep reminding people that it it sometimes feels like two steps forward and one step back. And it, and it doesn't one day, you know, you, you might be feeling like you're functioning. Okay. And then the next day is like grief grenades everywhere. And so we just want to be really cautious that we're not saying, okay, well, which, where am I? Am I, have I passed out of acute grief? Right. And we don't assign timelines to it. And, you know, it's just kind of like, we can talk about some, some things in general terms to help people get a general idea, but it is very specific to the individual and it's very specific to the loss. And it is not a cause for concern, right? If yesterday you were feeling pretty good and today you, you don't. Right. So, so that said, I think a lot of us reach this place where I reached where, and I call it the stagnation zone, um, in the work that I do where we are back to normal in terms of how we look to other people, right? We are getting the things on the to-do list done. And so from an outsider's perspective, they're, they've probably at that point almost kind of even forgot about it, or they aren't maybe talking about it as much with us because they perceive that we're okay, but how we present is not how we feel. And so we might be presenting as very confident and capable and on top of things, but inside we're actually feeling rather robotic or a little hopeless, or maybe hollow, or maybe still kind of like numb as unsure. And that's the place where I like to work with people in, right? Because what often happens is that we hear this phrase new normal and we can get confused and we can take that phrase and we can make it mean that that icky meh place that we're in is like just the new normal. Like, and we're like, well, I guess I'll just get used to my new normal. And what's really happening is like, oh crap, like this isn't at all what I want for my life, but we kind of start resigning ourselves to this because we don't understand yet what we're capable of and how to fix it or change it. I don't, I really don't even like that. I just said fix because that implies we're broken and we're not, but how do I change it? Right. Um, how do I actually shift from choosing to believe that my best days are behind me to know actually my best days are in front of me. And I get to be the creator of my life, even though I I can't control what's happened. I can still decide who I want to be given what's happened. And, you know, post-traumatic growth really is something that all of us can experience. You know, some people just kind of fall into it. Other people have to work a little harder, but we can take any loss and we can use it as the raw material for a life that is 
even more satisfying than the life we had before the loss. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like some of what I'm learning through going through these kind of subsequent losses is like, you know, thinking about the people and like, what did I learn from them or what would they want me to do now? Or, you know, there's this, like, I've been able to find these like meanings mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's two different people. So that, so the messages are a little bit different, but there's something about like, I mean, I think maybe this is like common or cliche or something, but it's like, I heard actually someone else, I can't remember her name, Anna, Anna, somebody who is also on Brooke's podcast at one point, but anyways, she said, we're, there's this Buddhist, she attributed it to Buddhism, so I will attribute it to Buddhism. There's this saying, we're all going to die and we don't know when. And there's like, in my, I guess what I would call my post-traumatic growth from the losses I've experienced or like the, the part that I'm in now is there's something about like life is short. Totally. And we're, you know, we're alive. Like this is it, you and I on this podcast, this is, this is our whole life and this is all that's guaranteed and and what choices do i want to make if if that is where i'm coming from yeah and like wake you up right like snap you into oh my i've been coasting on autopilot like i've just been maybe not even realizing that i was like tolerating this life that isn't really the life that i want and so that's what happened to me in, in that, especially with my job, right. I, I loved my life with Hugo, but after he died, I was like, okay, I don't really want to work in air airplanes. Like that was his love. Like I've never been, you know, he was an engineer. He absolutely loved aerospace and, and I loved the people that I worked with and I loved project management and that kind of thing. But it was really a great opportunity for me to sit straight up and go, am I making the mark on the world that I want to make? Am I spending my days the way that I want to spend them? Because you're right. Like this, it was glaringly obvious. This is all we have. And we don't know, like, do we have tomorrow? We don't know that. And so it kind of helped me then do a little gut check of what do I value? Who do I want to be in the world? And how can I start living more aligned with what I value and be more of who I want to be instead of just like coasting, right. Or, or taking, taking the, the easy path, which for me was like the safe corporate job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. So if people are listeners are wanting to explore post-traumatic growth, like what are the first steps or what can they do to start? on their journeys. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing is just like knowing that it's possible, right? Because so many of us, myself included, like had no idea that was even a thing. And so you, you know, you, if you think that when you've been through something traumatic, the, the best you can hope for is just to get back to the level of wellness that you experienced before the loss or the trauma, um, then you're, you're just missing out on 
the opportunity, which we now know exists, which is that, you know, we can, can actually experience greater levels of wellness after any sort of traumatic life experience. And we get to be the ones that decide that. Right. So we're just looking at things like, do I like the quality of my relationships? Right. Am I living the way that I want to spiritually? Do I like what I do for a living? Do I like how I spend my time? Do I like my relationship with myself? Like, you know, the post-traumatic growth kind of dictates like five key areas, but I don't even think that matters as much as it matters that we go, okay, it's, it's highly likely that I've been living my life unconsciously and on autopilot because I have a human brain and that's what human brains like to do. Here's my chance. And of course I have it like today and the next day and the next day and the next day, but here I am today. This is my chance. What do I value? How do I want it to be different? And then let's go create that. Right. And that's what it is. What have I learned from that, that, that just happened. So I learned like the quality of relationships that I want. I learned, like, I really want to do stay more present. I learned that I really don't, didn't want to work at the job I was working in. Right. There, there were little whispers of what was possible for me. And I, I wasn't listening to them in many ways. Right. Mm -hmm. And now I listen better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so it doesn't have to, we don't have to make it complicated. We just have to know that it's that kind of growth is possible and then make a choice to, to do it right. To figure it out. What does that mean for me? And, and what do I want the direction of my life to go in? And if we don't know, and we need some help, then we, we get some support around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I feel like I just want to say there's no rush into the growth. Right. And and it might take time and this might not be and, where and the growth at. is not the growth is not morally superior. We don't yeah. even have to grow. And the last thing I want people to hear is or see them do is use use the idea of post-traumatic growth as another should. Right. Because right. now it's like, well, now I now put I'm it on your list, to your to-do right? list. Like, you know, because I wasn't in enough pain. So now I'll just like tell myself that if I'm not growing, I'm also not doing it wrong. And no, no, no. No, that's not what we're saying, but like you, you get to be the boss of your life today and tomorrow and all the days afterwards. And you get to be the one who decides what do I want to make of this grief experience that I've been through. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then we go from feeling like at its expense to consciously creating. And that's, yeah. that's the transition I'm interested in helping people make, but it is definitely not about timelines. It's not morally superior. It's not right, wrong, good, bad. It's just an option that we can pursue if we want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think many of the listeners have trauma in their history, even if, you know, I mean, there's the trauma of whatever you're grieving, but we also a lot of my people have some mm -hmm. sort of childhood trauma. And I know in my journey with that and healing that it was kind of like, I guess it is like a grieving process of grieving this trauma because I definitely had denial and then I had acceptance <laughs> at some point that something happened and I had all the anger and sadness and grief and all of the feelings around it. And 
at some point, you know, and this was like probably four or five years into really working with my trauma actively, I, I wanted to start to explore forgiveness. And um, well, I remember when this first came up, I asked my therapist, like, how do I forgive? Like, how does that work? And her response was like, heal, heal yourself. And then forgiveness almost happens in some way automatically. But, but more recently, I wanted to do kind of active forgiveness work. And I, and I think it was, it kind of comes in together with this post-traumatic growth which you know took a fucking long time for me with this yeah. trauma. Yeah, yeah. Not like two years later; it's like thirty years mm -hmm. later, you know. But one of the things that I realized was like, well, I don't, I don't want. There are certain actions I don't forget, or I, I, I don't condone, and I mm -hmm. don't really want to coach myself into condoning them. I yeah. just think some things happened and they shouldn't have happened and it taught me the difference between right and wrong and it taught me you know kind of some morals and some ways of seeing the world and wanting this passion to stand up against injustice and like when i was doing that work i also realized like maybe if i didn't have these experiences these experiences that I had, like I would be like an accountant with like two kids and a white picket fence and like, yeah. and just have this like life that I'm glad I don't have. I'm glad that I'm very creative and very spiritual and kind of weird and, you know, all of these, who I am now is a result of what happened then and and then all the choices I've made since yeah then but it was this interesting experience of realizing like huh there 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 is a gift there and I don't condone it yes well yeah no I totally relate to that like that's how I felt with the man who caused the accident that killed Hugo right yeah totally did not condone it, but also didn't want to carry it around. Didn't want to carry that burden and, and that heaviness of anger with me because I could see that it, it, it was only going to drag me down. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And forget, I think that's an important piece. If you are wanting to do forgiveness work, do it for you. Yeah. I mean that you're the only one that benefits, right? Like I could be angry with him and he would never feel my anger. It, it wouldn't hurt him. It doesn't let him off the hook if I'm not angry anymore. Right. It lets me off the hook. It lightens me. Yeah. No, I totally relate to that. It's not, and it's not necessarily easy work to do, but for me, for sure, I, I would not want to be carrying that around. Yeah. But I also didn't want him to not serve prison time either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a consequence. Yeah. 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 And, and I hoped, you know, like I, 
I, I, apparently you're not supposed to talk when, so when they had the, the, um, trial, he pled guilty and all of this, but when they had the trial, you get the chance to do a victim impact statement. And I didn't kind of realize you weren't supposed to talk to the, to, you know, the other person. And so, um, you know, that was, that was what I wanted him to hear was like, don't let, don't, don't define your life by this, right? It does no good for him to define his life by this, right? Like you made a mistake. I I hope you will remember my husband. I hope you will live your life for him as well, right? Like, because it was a huge loss for us and for my kids and for, you know, his son and, and that, but also it's, it is unfair to others and to ourselves when we let our whole future be defined by something that's happened in the past. Mm -hmm. Right. So we got to learn from it and we got to love ourselves anyway. And we got to move forward with that, not just anchor ourselves to it and let it drag us down because then we only create more of the same in the world. And I don't believe that's what any of us are here for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, also, you don't have to forgive and, and if you want, it's like the post-traumatic growth. When you want yeah. to do it, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's not right or wrong or good or bad. It's just a choice. And for me, it was the right choice for me because I didn't want to feel angry all the time. And I didn't want my thoughts to be preoccupied with him. And it happened at a certain point, right? Like it wasn't the next day. Oh no. I mean, as soon as it happened, I, I, I don't think I, I could have been any more mad. I mean, you know, like the, it, <laughs> the, it was definitely not an immediate thing. It was a process. And then for some people, maybe it is immediate and that's, you know, that's a, just as valid of an experience as anything, but no, I like, I had to think about it. Right. I had to think about it. And I feel really grateful that honestly, at the time, he died. I already had some of those teachings intellectually in my mind mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. forgiveness being for me and, you know, forgiveness, not being, not meaning condoning. And some of those things I already, I didn't have to learn intellectually. I just had to take that and figure out how to apply it. So it's like I had a little bit of a leg up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also just don't think you you know, you don't get behind the wheel of a car on a Sunday afternoon with meth and alcohol in in your system. If you're, if you have great coping skills and your life is going well, right. That's the kind of thing that you do when you're in a lot of pain and you don't know how to deal with it. And I'm not saying it's right to do that, but I could see how that happens. Right. And I, and, and so I could, I could, even though I was also having anger, I could also have compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I want to talk a little bit about grief and working with your sacred goals and how those things can dance together or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are, and I don't think I've heard you talk about this. Maybe you have, but I haven't heard it. Um, what are your thoughts about like, if you, if you have a certain goal and then something happens and you're going through grief, how can those things work together or should they work together? So I think they definitely can work together. I think where people get stuck is if they have never had a significant 
grief experience before, they can be completely surprised at how intense the response might be or how unexpected the response might be because, you know, you're, you're literally like your whole brain and body and, you know, chemically everything changes. And so what I see sometimes is that we we're mean to ourselves, right? We, Mm. maybe we have this goal and we want to do something. I have a lot of, I know like you, like you, I have a lot of coaches in my, my friend circle. And so sometimes what I'll see, and there are a lot of entrepreneurs who will have maybe a goal for their business and then something happens. And then instead of being compassionate and kind with themselves and allowing themselves space to, to, to process and integrate the, you know, this loss into the, the fabric of life, they like crap on themselves and make it mean they're not strong and they're, you know, not doing it right. And they should be doing it better. And everybody else is doing it better than them. And they just like weaponize, you know, their progress toward their goal with their, their grief. And so are you familiar with Dan Sullivan's gap versus gain teaching? Okay. So Mm -hmm. this is, I think super relevant to goals. Like if you had a goal pre loss, whatever the, whatever the loss is, right. Um, this is relevant. So what the teaching is, is that what a lot of us do is we measure ourselves against the horizon, right? We measure ourselves against what's possible, the goal. Okay. Which is kind of unfair because if you are a runner, you would never measure your success against the horizon because Mm -hmm. you realize that just like your potential, the horizon is not a fixed place. It's an idea, right? So you're running and the goal is changing. And so it's, there's no value in measuring ourselves against our potential or against something way out there in the future. So what we want to do is we want to take the horizon, the goal, our potential, and use that as an exciting place to set a goal from. And then we want to turn around and measure ourselves backwards. We want to measure the gain, right? Where did we start and where have we come from? Like where, where are we right? Relative to where we started. So this is what a runner does. You, you measure yourself based on where you are from the starting line, not from the horizon. So, but when it comes to loss, we've got to like redraw the start line. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm always telling my clients, like you are not measuring the kind of parent you were from when your spouse was alive. Okay. Like we are redrawing the start line. And so we want to do the same thing with goals. Like let's not compare how we were doing towards the goal from before the loss. Let's like, whoop, nope. Start line is now the loss. How far have I come since then? And then we get our brain trained because it will want to go into the gap, right? Which is the distance between where we are and where we could be. And we bring it back to how far we've come right? That's the gain. And we keep bringing our back brain back to the gain, the gain, the gain, knowing that it's going to want to go to the gap. But for, for grief specifically, we it's the starting line. That's the problem. Because what we often do is we go back to before the loss and measure ourselves against that. And that is not a fair comparison. That is a recipe for misery. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then also Mm -hmm. sometimes a goal can be the respite. Right right? Sometimes a goal can be, can get us out of thinking about the loss and give us something to focus on that we love or that we're otherwise excited about. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of like, are we using this to help ourselves? Are we using this to be mean to ourselves? Is it a, is it a a move toward what we want or a move away from what we want? Yeah. Yeah. And, 
And again, I feel like basically our answer to every question I've asked on the podcast is like, everyone's different. You get to do it your way. 100%. If you want to, you know, like if you want to just set your goal aside for six months or for a year or whatever, or for one month, whatever timeline you can, if it feels like a healthy respite and something fun and pleasurable for you to focus on and take a break from some, some people are doers, right? Like their response to loss will be to do. Yeah. Right. And so they may absolutely love having a goal to focus on because doing might feel very good to them. I think we also just kind of want to be onto ourselves a little bit that we aren't hiding in the doing like that. We aren't using the doing and the goal pursuit as a reason to not pay attention to what's happening to us emotionally. Right. I've had a, I'm thinking of one client in particular who threw herself into a memorial project for her husband. He had a very rare kind of cancer. And when she came to me for coaching, it was because she could feel it coming. She knew that she had gone from, you know, diagnosis to taking care of him, to his death, to this project and parenting her like 18 month old. And she could feel the end of this project coming. And she knew what was going to, what was about to hit her right when she stopped and slowed down. And then it was all going to be there for her. And that felt very scary, but, but doing the project what actually really did help her in some ways. Right. So it's just kind of like being on to yourself a little bit of like, Ooh, I think when I slow down, that's when it's going to hit me. And maybe I need some support. How can I support myself? If that feels scary to me to slow down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to, yeah, to, to be on to yourself and to make the choices that feel yeah. right for like you. It's, like- it's not wrong that you would, you, you know, get, get busy and do something, but if you know that like you can, you, you know, you're going to need support around something. When I say beyond to yourself, I don't mean like be mean to yourself or tell yourself you should be different. I just mean be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, you know, I see what a part of me is trying to do to, to protect me. Mm-hmm. And I can see the potential of um, some rough stuff ahead. So how do I get the support that I need so that I can get through that in the most loving and kind way possible for myself? Um, Because we all have coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm totally a a workaholic slash busy. Me too. Yeah, me too. I'm like, let's read all the grief books, right? Like let's, yeah. As opposed to like, what would it be like to feel our feelings? (laughs) Yeah. And, and hmm. one, one tip for people who maybe are like, how do I do this is like, with certain feelings, I have set a timer on my phone for like two minutes. Yeah. And just said, I'm going to feel this for two minutes. I'm not going to scroll social media and I'm not going to, you know, start cleaning or whatever yeah. <laughs> your go-to thing is, but just two minutes. I'm going to let myself feel one of the feelings that has been really hard for me to feel is hopelessness. Yeah. It's like something that I just want to put away and pretend is not there. And it's like, I'm a human. Every human feels hopeless sometimes. 
And so to just set that timer for two minutes or three minutes and feel it, and then I'm mm -hmm. done, yeah. you know, <laughs> to just like dip, dip my toe in and then. I love that idea that with the timer, because I think sometimes what we're so worried about when we don't have any experience feeling our feelings is, and I see this a lot with my moms because they're like the only parent now is we worry that we'll fall apart. We worry that we'll fall into a black hole that like, if we open up ourselves to the feeling that it, it will just overtake us. And so I like the idea of the, the timer, as you suggested it, because you can kind of prove to yourself that that actually isn't what happens. Like it really is just a transitory kind of experience. It's really the resistance to it that actually makes it so much worse than the allowance of it. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I heard you say on one of the podcasts and you probably know who this quote is like, grief is patient. It will wait for you. Oh my gosh. All those feelings. Yeah. If you think you can outrun them or out shop them or out eat them or I think that is not, nope, they will wait. Yeah. And even in my like more recent, my recent grieving processes, it was like, what's the second death? There were these other, these other losses that I had in childhood that I had not grieved in, you know, <laughs> I didn't, yeah. you know, I was eight or whatever. I didn't know how to grieve. And unfortunately, no one really knew how to help me grieve at that time. And so, yeah, with one of the more recent losses, it was like, oh, I'm grieving this. Yes. And this person and this other person. Like, I, I'm so glad three, you said that. Three in one. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because that can be another surprise too, right? It doesn't make sense to the conscious brain where you're like, what? what is up with me? Like, why is this, you know, it shouldn't be is what, what we tell ourselves. It shouldn't be this hard or, it should, you know, and yeah, if we, if it can be such a beautiful opportunity when we recognize it as that to let that ick that's holding us back and it's already there because it hasn't been healed. It can be such an opportunity for it to come to the surface and get the attention that we've been needing to give to ourselves and just completely unaware of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels like garbage. In the Terrible. Moment. Yeah. But if Where you know, like, why like, is this so hard and why is this not ending ever? Yeah. And, and I think if you can, if you can tell yourself, it's not your fault that you feel this way and you've done nothing wrong because you feel this way. And it's totally, of course, it's going to feel terrible. Um, right. That you're not like shaming or, or guilting yourself or any of that. Then you can go about the work of like, okay, what, what do I need to do to help myself here? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is so helpful. Thank you so much. For... I hope so. I love, I never thought I would love talking about grief, but I see it so differently now. And so I love the opportunity to talk about it. It is a juicy topic. Thank yeah. It's <laughs> so good. We proved it. So, so if people, um, I mean, obviously, if anyone is a widowed mom or knows a widowed mom who needs Krista's support, I, I want you to tell them where to find you. But I, and I just want to plug Krista as a non, 
widowed mom. I guess we can't get into your container, right, if we're not widows. But um, just listening to her podcast, which is the widowed mom podcast, has been super helpful for me, even though I'm I'm not a widow, but I am grieving. The majority of what she shares applies. I'm glad to, to hear that. That's, that's my intention is, is, you know, I am, I am working in terms of my coaching with widowed moms, but I am hoping to have valuable conversations that people relate to just th through the lens of grief. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And who knows, so, maybe someday I'll broaden up a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, where can people find you if they yeah, want? So as you mentioned more. the podcast, it's called the widowed mom podcast. And then um, actually do have a free course, which people might benefit from. It is, you know, it's, it's of course, ultimately got some things in it that are related to widowed moms, but it's a really good kind of hour long. If you're new to grief or it's not what you mm -hmm. expected, you know, how do you support yourself through acute grief, all of that kind of thing. Um, they can get that at coachingwithkrista.com forward slash free course. Um, mm -hmm. and that's just a little, a little opt-in. And then I'm, you know, all of my socials are at that same website, coachingwithkrista.com. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for totally coming on. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And to everybody, we, I will talk to you next week. Bye. If you resonated with this episode, I want to offer you a free private one-hour consultation with me. Through doing the deep inner work, my clients have been able to do things like quit the job they hate and land a job they love, or get their first paying clients in their dream business, and if they're a little bit further down the road, double their revenue. They've been able to fall in love and go to bed each night feeling satisfied and accomplished. In the consultation, we'll talk about what your dream looks like, what's getting in the way, and whether working together can help. Email me at brin at brinbamber.com to book.